Stand up and give God some praise and let's worship him. Let's just not wait. Let's just take this time right now. We're going to pray and just ask God to, 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 to be with us tonight as we stand in this place. Father God, I know that you are an amazing God. And you said we're two or more gathered in one accord that you're there in their midst. And Father, I know in these few people that are here tonight that I know that there's needs that need to be met. I know, Father, that there's hardships, I'm sure, at home or work. I'm sure there's a million different things that are, could be going on right now that they need you for, that we need you for. But, Father, above all those things, God, we, we just need your presence. Father, we just need you in the room. We long for you to be here. Everything's just falling apart. We desire just to be in your presence. When everything is going great, I desire to be in your presence. In the good times and the bad times, Father, I long to be in your presence. So come and be with us tonight as we worship you. Glorify your holy, holy name above all other names, even when we don't feel like it, Lord. Oh, I'm thankful that I don't walk by feelings and I walk by faith. If your word says that you are here, God, then I know that you are. I've got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do, but every song must And I've got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? And I could sing these songs as I often do, but every song must So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, nothing else fit for you, except for a heart singing high. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I've got one response, and 
I've got just one move With my own stretched wide I will worship you I've got one response And I've got just one move With my own stretched wide I will worship you so I throw my hands and praise you again and again Cause all that I have is a hallelujah Hallelujah And I know it's not much I'm nothing else fit for a king Except for a heart singing high Hallelujah, hallelujah And I throw my hands And I praise you again and again Cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah And I know it's not much Nothing else fit for a king Except for a heart singing Hallelujah Hallelujah Come on my soul Don't you get shy on me Lift up your song You've got a lion inside of those lungs Get up and praise the Lord Come on my soul Don't you get shy on me Lift up your song You've got a lion inside of those lungs Get up and praise the Lord Come on my soul, oh don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs, get up and praise the Lord. Oh, come on my soul, oh don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs Get up and praise the Lord So I throw up my hands Praise you again and again So that I have is a hallelujah not much, I'm nothing else fit for a king, except for a heart singing hallelujah, hallelujah. My Father God, all we have is a hallelujah, Lord, all we have is our praise. 
All we have is our worship that is worthy of you. There's nothing else. You seek obedience. Oh, we give you a sacrifice of praise. When we don't feel like it, we praise you. When we don't, when we don't see you moving, God, we worship you. No matter what's going on around us, God, you get all the praise and the glory and the honor. Oh, yeah. So as the psalmist said, as the psalmist said, why so downcast, oh, my soul, put your hope in God. I speak to my soul. You will worship the King. I speak to my flesh. You will worship the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and end. You will worship no matter in spite of the circumstances that I'm in oh, so come on my soul don't you get shy on me lift up your soul you've got a lion inside of those lungs get up get up get up get up oh come on my soul don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Oh, I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Because all that I have is a hallelujah. Hallelujah And I know it's not much Nothing else before a king Except for a heart singing Hallelujah Voices arise and all creation cries, singing out in this hallelujah. From this moment on, I'm gonna join with heaven's song, singing out in this hallelujah. Let our voices arise. All creation cries, singing out an endless hallelujah. From this moment on, I'm going to join with heaven's songs, singing out an endless hallelujah. Let my voice rise. And all creation cries, singing out endless hallelujah. And from this moment on, I'm going to join with heaven's songs, and singing out endless hallelujah. And let our voice. 
voices arise and all creation cries singing up and From this moment on, join with heaven's song, singing out names, Alleluia. And I will be living sacrifice, and all my heart and soul. Glorify, I offer nothing less in all my life for Jesus Christ. And all on the altar, I'm surrendered again. Freely I lay down my everything, and this is my honor. Oh, the gift that I bring, and I will be a living. Sacrifice and all my heart and soul to glorify. I offer nothing less than all my life for Jesus Christ, and I just want to bless you, Lord. Oh, whatever it takes With my mind and my body My spirit and strength Oh, if you are a fire Oh, then set me ablaze Oh, I will be a living sacrifice And all my heart and soul to glorify And offer nothing less than all my life For Jesus Christ And I will be a living sacrifice all my heart and soul to glorify I offer nothing less than all my life for Jesus Christ for Jesus Christ For Jesus Christ, I give you all. For Jesus Christ, I surrender all. For Jesus Christ, 
you are my Lord. I give you all for Jesus Christ. And I'll give you all, give you all of my worship. For fire, for fire, for come consume it. I'll give you all, give you all of my worship. For fire, for fire, for come consume it. And I'll give you all, give you all of my worship. For fire, for fire, for come consume me. I'll give you all, give you all of my worship for fire for fire for come consume me and i'll give you all give you all of my worship for fire for fire for oh purify me and i'll give you all give you all of my worship for fire, for fire, for so I will be a living sacrifice, all my heart and soul to glorify. I offer nothing less than all my life for Jesus Christ. I will be a living sacrifice All my heart and soul to glorify I offer nothing less than all my life Jesus Christ Father, you deserve it all Father, you deserve it all. You gave everything that you had, your most valuable. The Word became flesh and became the Son of God. Your only Son. And you gave Him as a living sacrifice, as a sacrifice that was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Oh, the stripes that he bore on his back on Calvary was for our healing. He shed every drop of blood, sparing nothing. You held nothing back, Lord. And Father, we don't dare hold anything back from you. How can we say that we believe in you? We believe your word. We believe that Jesus died on the cross for us to pay the price of sin. Yet we say some things we're not just we're just not willing to give up.
God, you paid for it all. You paid for every part of our soul, every part of our flesh, every part of our being. I hold nothing back. I hold nothing back. Father, if there's a part of our life, God, that we're not willing to give up right now, Father, where we're at in in these chairs, shine a light on it. Make it come to our memory. Make it come to the forefront of our minds. And then you ask the question, you ask the question, are you willing to lay it down for me? And if you hesitate to say yes, check your heart. Oh, every part of me, Lord, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. Every part of my life is yours. He's either the Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You can't say he's your Lord if you're not willing to lay everything down. Oh, Father, shine a light in our hearts right now. Let us see what we're holding back. Let us see what we're holding back. Revival begins with repentance in our own hearts. We can't ask for revival if we're not willing to lay it all down. It starts right here, it starts right here, we lay it all down, we lay it all down, to a holy God, to a pure and holy God, omnipotent Father, King of kings and Lord of lords. A holy God. And I'll give you all, give you all my worship. Fall fire, fall fire, fall, come consume I'll give you all, give you all of my worship. For fire, for fire, for And I will be living sacrifice All my heart and soul to glorify I offer nothing less than all Jesus Christ You're a holy God You're a holy God You're a holy God Holy
Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. You are holy. 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 Are you Lord God Almighty? Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, you are holy, holy, are you Lord God Almighty, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, you are holy. Holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. You are holy. God Almighty reigns. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For Lord God Almighty reigns. Almighty, 
Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. You are holy. Holy. You are holy. Worthy is the Worthy is the Lamb. You are holy. Holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb.
It's all that I am To worship you I live To worship you I live I live to worship you To worship you I live To worship you I live I live to worship you You know the base maybe some people are thinking how can I live to worship him but that's what Paul wrote in the book of Romans he said to offer up yourselves as a living sacrifice which is your acceptable act of worship to the Lord so our everyday lives are living our lives he doesn't want us to go quarantine ourselves somewhere in the mountains and hide away with him until he comes back again he says I want you to live and live in such a way that your life is a living sacrifice and that he says that is your acceptable act of worship when we live for him and we offer our lives and follow him and all of those things that is worship to God and I love coming together and singing and worshiping and I love his presence but you know what he loves more he loves when we go out the doors and we live our lives in such a way that it it brings glory and honor to his name that is true worship father we just thank you that you sought us out and you called us you provided a way that we can be reconciled with you through your son who died on a cross but was raised from the dead we thank you for the spirit of god that now lives within each and every believer and that father that it bears witness to us. Yes, we love to worship you. We love to be in your presence, to sit and just relish the relationship that we have with you, Lord God. It's just, oh, there's there's nothing like it. God, when we're done with that, then we, it's walking out and in the business, in the places that we go and the people that we meet, we live our lives in such a way that it is an act of worship acceptable and pleasing to you, Lord God. Father, that, let that be impressed upon our hearts that God, that our lives are to be acts of worship to you. That when people see us, they ask what's different about you what is it about your life and we can say it's Jesus it is Jesus in us and who he is and, and that gives the door the opportunity to share and to witness Lord God so we just praise you Holy Spirit tonight just have your way in our midst literally just have your way in our midst tonight of the Father's purpose and glory, we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Won't you take a moment, maybe turn and greet someone you've not had a chance to say good evening to? Maybe somebody came in afterwards or you haven't had a chance to say hello? time was that <laughs> yeah praise God amen how's everybody doing tonight did you survive <laughs> no I'm talking about the the, the national whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like Y2K all over again for those of us who are that old and remember that. <laughs> I saw a picture, a friend of mine sent me a picture. He was all wrapped up in tinfoil, tinfoil hat, tinfoil around his body and everything so that when the thing went off, it wouldn't affect him, you know. I thought, man, I said, as expensive as aluminum foil is, I said, I'd have beat you if you had used my aluminum foil to do that. But I guess, you know, it's good for a laugh, you know. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Anybody have a testimony or a praise report you want to share tonight? Oh, you do. Okay. How about that? I was invited to go to, um, again to uh, Westlake high school and it was uh very touchy the uh, the reason that i went the subject was going to be on uh abusive relationships trust and respect and um they had one girl in the classroom she asked the question why was i born i want to know why i was born i really didn't want to be born why was i born and the teacher just said "Ooh." Y'all are asking really hard questions. And she looked at me, and I, was, I had drifted off into the tongue language. And I said, what? She said, uh, she needs you to answer her question. So I answered her question to the best that I knew how. And uh, she just looked at me. Another one said, uh, you know, there's some of us in this classroom that don't believe in God. I looked at her. You're limited to what you can say about God. This is what the teacher said. When the class started, she said, I don't want to know any of your beliefs, but I want you to know my belief. I believe in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There, I rest my case. So uh, another girl said, uh, well, not, of, not all of us believe in God. And one, one gay guy said he, he, he was belligerent. He was defiant. He... He broke my heart, actually. He was, he was arguing with the teacher really bad, and she was trying to teach him. And finally she said, I'm about to throw you out of the class. And he said, there you go, there you go. So she just finally looked at him and said, you know, I believe you, and he just got quiet. He just wanted someone to argue with, and I told her after the class, I said, that young man's really hurting. He's got a lot of wounds in him. No, none of the teachers want him. They don't want him, so she got him. And uh, she didn't want him either, but he's in her class. Another one was severely depressed, 
after the class, he, I mean, it was, you could see the black cloud all over him, and it was breaking my heart. I just sat there at the desk, and the teacher went up to him and said, are you okay? And he goes, she says, give me a big hug, and she hugged him. So there were a lot of, you know, issues. They had, a, there were 16-year-olds, they had a lot of questions, and they needed a lot of answers, and of course, there was one guy who says, I believe in God. God is the author and finisher of my life. And I had to put my head down and I said, well, there's one light in the darkness, Lord. Thank you for that. Amen. And, and then I went to the, uh, when this was all said and done before that, winding up to the day before, she called me up. I was having a cell group meeting. And she, called, she texted me and said, help, help. I lost my keys. I'm in Texas. I came to buy some food for a friend that... Is, is indeed, and I lost my keys. I can't find my keys. So I said, okay, we'll pray right away. And we began to pray in the Holy Spirit. And uh, she texts me back and she says, I've been looking for two hours. Everybody's trying to help me. I can't find my keys. I got to get home. I can't wait anymore. I said, listen to me. The keys are, they're not where you put them. They're close by, if that helps. That's all I, I know to tell you. Well, needless to say, she paid $255 to get another key and came back home and called back moments later, two hours later, and they found her key. So that's, that was a saga in itself. Uh, then I went to the store today, and there was a lady that was really having a hard time. She looked like she was having a hard time. And I said, she said, oh, I'm just trying to get out of here without getting too many groceries. And I said, she said, my back is really hurting. I said, can I pray for you? She said, sure. So I began to pray for her back. And I talked about Jesus to her. And she looked at me and she made the sign of the cross. And I said, God bless you. So it, it's been a, the, the momentum has been picking up. And uh, uh, um, another teacher was in the classroom and I didn't understand why she came in the classroom. And she, after the class, she went up to a girl who was sitting close by me, and she was speaking to her in uh, Spanish. And I said, wow. She, so she came to us after the class, and she said, that girl doesn't know English at all. And she, I said, would you please tell me about this situation? She said, she goes to Generet St. Charles, New Iberia and different schools to teach the immigrants how to speak English. And a lot of them don't stay because they don't have their citizenship. It's really, it was really a sad story. One of the Mexican boys told the teachers, I hate school. I don't want to be here. I want to work. And his dad called him and said, we have some work for you. He said, I'm coming. And he left his mom, who can't speak English, and his little brother, three-year-old, and I know the little brother was really close to him. So I'm saying all this to say there's a lot of hurting people. Yeah. And I just ask that the Holy Spirit would put us in a place where we can shine the light. We can give a word. It, it may not be a lot of words because you're in a public school and you, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus, although we did. <laughs> and just... Keep your ears open and your heart open Amen. 
to all the hurting people that are everywhere. They, they're everywhere. They're not hiding. They're everywhere. That's all I have to say. That's good. Thank you. Amen. Anybody else? Okay. Um, I have a nephew that I've been praying for for a good few years anyway. Um, and uh, I don't remember when, but sometime within the past year, um, he went to Alexander area, Pineville, to go into uh, YCP, which is Youth Challenge Program. And he actually asked his mom to go. So, which was good. So, uh, I just give you that background to say that um, I have been praying for God to put somebody in his path to lead him to Jesus, to minister. Because he's not, I mean, not, it, it's, it's a, let's just say he's had a very hard childhood, a very hard childhood. And so it's not just something, hey, let me introduce you to Jesus, and then you go on. He really needs a mentor to help him, you know, to help him grow and to help him, you know, ask questions and understand things. And so when I, he had family day this past Sunday where we were, that was like the only time we could go and see him, and he's doing great. And he has a mentor that is actually his second cousin on his father's side. Because uh, he's my nephew by my sister. So on his father's side. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he has a second cousin who I had a, a short conversation with. And she seemed very strong in the Lord. You know, she's a lady on a mission of helping people where, like, God tells her to go, she goes. She served in the military, you know. So it's like God has just really answered my prayers on, for my nephew. You know Amen. I mean? He's not my son, but he is my baby, right. you know. So I just, that was uplifting for That's me. That's great. No, you have to understand, my wife does that. I mean, when people do that, you know. <laughs> Second cousin, twice removed, that kind of thing. I, I don't know what a second cousin is. They explain it to me, but I can't figure it out. I was never good at algebra, you know. I mean, geometry, I did great, you know. Shortest distance between two points is a straight line. That's it, you know, like here to there. I know brothers and sisters, and I know first cousins. After that, I don't know anything, and, and I will never understand that. A genealogy is not my thing just really isn't uh, it just I don't know how you get twice removed you know I mean you know so I anyway uh, when, when people start talking to me like that I just glaze over I'm lost I'm like I'm in the weed so deep is anybody else like that I mean, or am I the only one I've, I've never understood any of that stuff and um, and people try to explain it to me and I'm not stupid but I just can't see it, you know. I gotta have it drawn out. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a visual learner, so, like, I have a, a family tree on my mom's side, uh, all the way to my generation, 
that goes back to the 1500s, I think it is, 1400s. And um, my relatives on my mom's side <laughs> fought in the Revolutionary, they were German Hessian soldiers. They fought in the Revolutionary War with England against the French and the Americans. So when England lost the war, they ended up in Nova Scotia. And, um, but I have their family tree. It, fill, it fits the whole wall. But I can see names and I can see who's what, but I don't know what positions they are or who's that. Yeah. That's it. Like, that's them. I don't know. I just don't know. So anyway, I don't know why I said that. It just, because you probably saw that dumb look on my face and I wasn't trying to demean you or anything. I just, no, I'm lost. I can't follow any of that. And, and, and people go, it's my sisters, brothers, uncles. You lost me. <laughs> Who's your sister? You know, like, that's where I'm at, you know. And anyway, <laughs> um, this is the last part of this series that we've been doing on Wednesday night. First Thessalonians 5, 19 to 22. It says, do not quench the spirit. Um, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. And we've just been talking about exercising discernment. It's the fifth week. And, and as I've stated every other week, it's simply because there's a lot of things happening today under the guise of religion, um, or a move of God, or there's a lot of um, teachings that are, that are creeping into the church that are not biblical. Uh, in fact, just today I read a little short article about something and it just fired me up, Andrew. I mean, it just fired me up. And I'm, I'm sitting there, my brain, it's like all of a sudden, man, my brain's just going like 100 miles an hour and I'm trying to remember everything and write down some notes because I won't so I won't forget it, you know, but I'm like, how can anybody on a national level in ministry make these statements? It just blew my mind. I said, I'm going to preach on this in a couple of weeks because that's like, I've got to do some research and, and whatever. But anyway, um, there's just a lot of things that are being taught, being said, and people are just just taking it in without without exercising any discernment whatsoever. Has anybody ever, I'm just curious, has anybody ever gone to like open a carton of something out of a refrigerator, go to drink it and find out it was bad? Yep. Isn't that a bad, it's not only a bad taste, it's a bad feeling, isn't it? Especially if you're like me and you just gulp and the first gulp's already down, you know, and then you're just like, Ooh. you know, you get that taste and then you go, this isn't right, or, or you know, or you get something out of, to go eat, and you, like, I was in a restaurant one time, and, you know, the meal came with french fries or something, I don't remember, and so I went to get some ketchup, you know, and, um, and immediately I could smell that the ketchup was bad, it was rancid, and I said, I know what they're doing, and because I used to be in the restaurant business, and the, the servers would take 
what's left in a bottle and pour it into what's left in another bottle. And then the next day they're doing that again. So what's happening is that stuff is getting poured from one bottle to another to another to another. And it's ex too many days. And then it's not refrigerated. It's left out on a counter and it just turns rancid. And I remember I smelled a bottle one time and I said, that's not right. Well, I take that back. The first time I dipped my fry in, took a bite, and immediately knew it wasn't good because it was burning my tongue. So after that now, when I take a lid off, especially if you take a lid off a ketchup bottle and it's not new, I'm real quick to kind of just sniff it from a distance. I can tell it if it's good or not, you know. And, um, but we have people in the church today that are just taking things hook, line, and sinker. And they don't exercise any discernment whatsoever. Um, and that's, um, uh, that's, that's why I want, I'm teaching this, okay? Um, the problem is discerning whether things are true or false. And I'm going to be talking about something tonight that it's not always just true or false. It's a mixture. And that's where the real danger comes. And, and we're going to see that in the scripture. Um, for if, if, especially in full gospel, Pentecostal, charismatic, Holy Ghost, spirit-filled churches, um, to raise a question regarding something that was said or done or taught or a manifestation of some kind, to just even raise a question about it is treated like you're quenching the Holy Spirit. And, and, and to ask if certain things are biblical um, is an invitation to get labeled a Pharisee or an old wineskin that God can't use anymore. Um, and that's why I say that we are to adhere to the practice that the Bible says, prove all things. Uh, we looked at in the, the new ASB we read earlier. Uh, it says, carefully examine. Um, King James and others say, prove. In other words, look at them closely and consider um, uh, what, if this is of God or not. And it's the reason that Jesus told us and the Apostle Paul told us and others wrote concerning deception because deception is real. Um, uh, I watched a video just the other day of a guy who had been told uh, off a website, and I won't mention it because it's all over social media now, and you may have bought something from this website, but I can tell you that 99.9% .9 of everything on that website is counterfeit. It's fake. And so this guy bought a golf club that normally would sell for like 500 and something dollars here in the States. And supposedly it's the same exact club and everybody had been telling them it's the same club and you can get it for 149 bucks from this place. And immediately my antennas go up because if it's too good to be true, it usually is, right? So this is a professional and he tested it in every way. First of all, he found the physical flaws that proved that it was counterfeit. But then the, when it came to performance, there was no doubt about it. It was definitely counterfeit. 
And he said, all these people who are spending all this money thinking they're saving money, he said, are really just doing, the, they're not saving any money, and they're going to be frustrated. And he said, there, I've proved it. I don't want to hear another word from anybody. You know, he's got a large following in this field uh, of golf. And um, he has millions of followers, and he, that's what he does. He checks out new equipment, new golf balls, new things like that, you know. And, and um, he proved that it was counterfeit. And um, uh, the, the, Jesus told us in Matthew 24, four times of all the things in the last days to be wary of, he says, be, be, uh, he, he warned us about deception four times in that same chapter. Everything else, he said, was one time. And so the greatest de deception is not sickness or poverty or persecution. It's deception, okay? Um, and and I, I, I'm just going to put this up there for you. And this, I, I've stated this every week every, already. But basically, the question we ask, and again, it's not a sin to question something, you know, um, is... Is the manifestation, is the prophetic word, is the, um, the, the fruit or whatever, is it of the Holy Spirit or is it of a, from a different source? We talked last week about good trees give good fruit, bad trees give bad fruit, and the soil that they're grown in has a lot to do with that. I, I don't know if you, many of you know, but how many of you know up as you go towards Alexandria, before you get there, like in uh, Forest Hills and that area, all the nurseries that are there, you know, I'm not talking about baby nurseries, I'm talking about the, you know, plant nurseries. Do you know why they're all there? I learned this just a few years ago. The water, the water is pure. Crystal pure, pH balanced pure. And, and I learned the whole story behind it a few years ago, about five, six years ago. And I was shocked. I did not know that. Because I thought, why are all these, you know, places right in this little area? And they said, it's the water. Because I don't know in Louisiana there's any good soil, you know, to speak of. But I mean, but they said the water is so pH balanced, pure, that that the plants thrive in that. And I thought, wow, it's the source uh, that bring. that's why all that um, business is in that area because the water source is so pure. So it's, you know, the source, is it, is it pure? Is it of God? And the second thing is, is the manifestation that, or prophetic word or whatever, is it in harmony with the scriptures? I mean, those are good, two simple questions to ask because I mentioned it a couple times. Signs and wonders do not determine truth. And uh, I said, just because it's outside your wheelhouse and you're not comfortable doesn't mean it's not God, but it also just do doesn't mean that it is God. And we have to determine it, and there has to be a plumb line or something to judge it by. And the thing that determines whether it's true or not is the Word of God. That is our plumb line. That is our standard. That is the thing that we judge all things by. Um, truth has already been determined and established 
It is the word. In John 17, 17, Jesus praying to the Father said, Your word is truth. In Psalms 119 and 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Uh, Paul writing to his, in his second letter to the Thessalonians, I'll get it out in a minute. He said this in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 through 11. He said, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. So, see, so signs and wonders in and of themselves can't determine truth. Because Paul writes and says, the lawless one, the lawless one's going to be the Antichrist who comes. And he says, we'll be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. And the verse 10 says, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Now think about today. Think about the things that are being, trying to be forced upon our culture that what has always been known as truth is now being undermined by evil and untruths are, 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 are being uh, uh, usurping uh, that position of truth. He says, in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. So who's pushing this evil? Who's pushing these false teachings, false ideas, false beliefs? He says, those who are perishing. And he says, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And then it goes on and says, for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. The lie. What is the lie? It's the, it's the deception, whatever it may be. It, it may cover a, a number of things. But he says God sends or allows a powerful delusion to come that they're convinced that they're right and everybody else, no matter what you say, is wrong. And I th to me, that I think is one of the most severe judgments that God could ever do is to um, send a strong delusion. They believe the lie. They buy into it, and you can't convince them anyway, any other way. In this day and age, if we were to even question it, in fact, I, I listened to... Um, 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 What's his name? He's running for president. Um, RFK Jr. And he, he was right before Congress, and they, they took his 10 minutes away and gave him five minutes. And he had his prepared statements, and he held them up. He said, this is what I came to speak on. He put it down, and he spoke to me some of the most eloquent words to them. And what he basically said was that you are taking away people's free speech. He said, gone are the days when, he said, when we could have a healthy debate of ideas and principles and whatever. He said, he said gone are the days that we're nice to one another. You're either evil or you're good. There's no middle ground. 
And I thought, man, you know, he could preach that in about every pulpit in America today, what he was saying. Because he was saying, we need to get back to where we respect one another, we treat one another with compassion, we listen to one another. Yes, we may still hold our beliefs and we may not change. And I don't agree with everything that he says, but he says, there's something wrong with our country. We're broken because we can't have a healthy conversation about something and um uh and this is and we've got i've seen this even break out in in the church world you're either on this side or you're on this side and there's no conversation without you being called a hypocrite or compromiser or whatever you know um and and again that's why the scripture says that we are to examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. <clears throat> I want to read a verse that may seem a little strange tonight, but it fits. I think it does at least. It's in Leviticus 19 and 19. That's not one that we memorize, but here, God is saying, keep my decrees. And then he makes three statements. He says, do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed and do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. And, and, and it sounds strange, doesn't it? Like, what, what, what does it matter? You know, what, you know but God, God, everything God has, has purpose. And what he's saying here is God is opposed to mixture. Uh, God warns us against three things, sowing with mixed seed, well, it, would, it really wouldn't make sense to go down a row that's been furrowed in the ground for a garden and put a tomato seed here, a watermelon seed here, a tomato seed here, a watermelon, right? I mean, it's not going to work, right? <laughs> you know? And so he says, don't sow with mixed seed. Uh, don't wear a garment that's woven with two types of material. And then he talks about breeding livestock. That's basically he's saying don't. Don't breed two different kinds of animals that are not of their own. Because he created everything, male and female, of their own kind, the Bible says. And um, I think that, to me, there's analogies in these three things. And I'm just going to put them up there. That's my thoughts. Not necessarily, I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord. <clears throat> but the sowing with mixed seed, uh, to me, represents the message that we bring when it's partly truth and partly error. Remember, Jesus talked about the sower who goes out to sow the seed. And, and he later explains it to the disciples because the people didn't understand it. The disciples didn't understand it. And he says, the seed is the word of God. He clearly tells them what the seed was. And um, so the fact, uh, I know this is Old Testament, but I'm always looking for application for our lives here. And, and I believe what he's saying is, this, this can represent the, the concept of part truth and part error being mixed and taught together because I've seen a lot of this in my lifetime as, as a believer and follower in the Lord. Uh, wearing a mixed garment, to me, represents a lifestyle that is partly scriptural and partly of the world. Right? I mean... The Bible says you're either hot or cold. You're in or out. I mean, you, you can't live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God 
um, he says the fruit of the spirit is this and the fruit of the flesh is this and then you know hey good fruit comes from good trees bad fruit comes from bad trees and if the fruit of the flesh is this and you're living partly in the flesh and then you're trying to live partly in the spirit what kind of fruit is going to come from that so uh, anyway then the last one is livestock breeding with livestock of an incompatible kind. And, and, and to me, that is comparable to a Christian ministry or group aligning itself with a group or ministry that's non-Christian. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't be associated with people who aren't Christians. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that you can't be a part of organizations that, you know, um, what I'm talking about is if you, along the lines of, for example, I, have, I had uh, led a man to the Lord years ago who was the president of the Chamber of Commerce. He was also like one of the officers in the Rotary Club of that town. And, and so he had great influence. And uh, he invited me to come to like a Rotary Club meeting. He invited me to different meetings. And I would go. But that was me being among them. It wasn't them coming in and me trying to assimilate them into the church, Christian ministry or whatever. You follow what I'm saying? There's a difference there. And um, uh, because it's, it's an interesting thing in that um, to breed in that way oftentimes scientifically produces a product that is sterile and can't reproduce. For example, you can, you can mate a horse and a donkey, and what do you get? A mule. But you can take two mules, they can't reproduce. They just can't. Um, it's always going to be sterile. And so I just had this conversation earlier today with, that mixture produces confusion and division. It produces confusion and division. Um, this condition of mixture of things, uh, whether it's uh, biblical teaching with non-biblical teaching, um, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of new age stuff that's old age, <laughs> really, because it's been around for a while, but it's being mixed with biblical principles and being taught in churches by some very influential people that um, is contrary to really what Scripture is, but it has enough truth in it that it sounds right. And if we're not exercising discernment, then we'll be deceived. Okay? Um, let me just give you a couple examples. You said, well, how can that happen? How can, how can you know, that be um, where, I just don't see that. You're either with God or you're against God, okay? This is an Old Testament example, okay? And you may not agree with me on it, but King Saul um, had a very uh, unique life. And in 1 Samuel 10, he's told that he's going to prophesy He's going to meet up with a bunch of prophets coming down 
and he's going to, he's, when he meets them, the Spirit of God's going to come on him, and he's going to prophesy. And you go read, re, read that chapter, and he does. He prophesies in the house, and he begins to prophesy under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Eight chapters later, near the end of his life, he, a demon, an evil spirit, a demon comes on him, and he begins to prophesy that he's going to kill David. And then he finds a spear, and he, he tries. He goes after David. He, this, he, he prophesies. This is what the Bible says. He says he prophesied by way of this demonic spirit. I'm like, that's, that's just, how can that be? How can that be? Um, his, his, his career is a warning. He ruled for 40 years. He was a successful military commander. He had a lot of other successes. But mixture was his undoing, and his life closed with tragedy. In fact, the last night of his life, the last night of his life, the Bible says he went to consult a witch. And the next day, he's... Some will say he was killed on the battlefield, but I believe the scripture literally says he committed suicide on the battlefield because he consulted a witch. How does one go from prophesying under the anointing of the Holy Ghost to consulting a witch? Some, that doesn't happen overnight. There are things that happen along the way. Well, what was the, what was the main thing that Saul had against David. He was jealous of David. Remember when David was victorious and, 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 and they said Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his 10,000 and Saul seethed over that. What did that do? That opened the door. It opened the door for jealousy and rage and anger and for the enemy to come into it and, and impact his life. Um, the re again, the result of mixture is two things. It's confusion and division. And usually the division is the fruit of bringing about confusion. Um, let, me, let me give you a, a, simp a, a couple examples. Um, I have been in churches. I've actually worked on staff in churches years ago where a word would come, maybe a message in tongues with interpretation or a prophecy or something like that, that and the pastor did not judge those things. He would not address those things. His concept was, I'll go address, if it's not right, I'll go address it with the person in private. Well, that's okay if it's a non-harmful thing. For example, uh, somebody might just stand up and say, oh, the Lord would have you know that I love you with an everlasting love, you know, and I'm watching over you and whatever. There's, there's no anointing. There's nothing there. It's the person speaking out of their own spirit, but there's nothing 
dreadfully harmful about that, I would go correct that person in private and talk to them about it. But there were a number of times when people would bring, I know it's hard to believe, but they'd bring their little pet peeve with them and arrange it. Thus says the Lord, I am angry with you about whatever, you know, that kind of thing. And um, you, could, you could feel it. It was like maybe there was a great worship time. Andrew, you've never seen that happen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, saw, <laughs> I saw that look and I thought. And um, uh, it would be a great worship time. And then somebody stands up with this. And it, you just feel like a spiritual wet blanket just got thrown over the whole place. And everybody felt yuck. And, and the pastor would not address it. And I, I was like, please. And you could see on the faces of the people confusion. Because they're going, was that God or not? Because I teach that if there's prophetic word, tongues, interpretation, or prophecy, whatever, the Bible clearly states that that word needs to be judged. And, 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 and technically, I know it's hard to do, but technically I say that that person speaking shouldn't say, thus saith the Lord, because the minute they say, thus saith the Lord, they put the stamp of God on it, and who are you to argue with that? But what should happen is the leadership should get up and say, thus says the Lord. And what that does is it brings confirmation to the people. It brings comfort to them that the Lord has spoken. But when something has been spoken that's, that's contrary, it needs to be judged. And it needs to be done then, otherwise it brings confusion. And then that brings a division in the house. Because some people will believe it's true, some people won't believe it's true. And so uh, where, where I was on staff, I won't say, and it was a long, long time ago. And I've, I've learned a few things since then, but I still would do the same thing again today if it happened again. We sent our pastor to Israel for two weeks. And so as the associate, everything fell on me. And we had three Sunday services and Wednesday night and midweeks and all that kind of stuff. And the first Sunday, I'm there. I usually led the worship because he wanted me to do it. I didn't want to do it, but he wanted me to do it. So I'm preaching, so I'm letting this other guy lead worship. He really wanted to do it. And um, so, uh, but he wasn't great at it, you know, but we, he wanted to do it. And so we're worshiping, and people are getting involved in everything, and coming down the middle aisle, and if you've heard this story, forgive me, but it fits. You have to understand this. Coming down the middle aisle is a young woman. She's coming. I've never seen her before, but she's got one of those Bibles that come off a coffee table at somebody's house, you know, one of them family Bibles under her arm. She come all the way down to this seat, right? If this was the front pew, she came right here. She put her Bible down, and she sat right there. And, and I'm watching her. Like, I mean, I saw her come. Anybody coming in with a Bible like that, you know, I mean, you know, I'm thinking there's a gun in there or something, you know, they're hiding it, you know, and, and really, and so I'm watching her, you know, and the guy's leading worship and he's oblivious to what's going on. And, and at, at one point 
in the worship time, he paused. They kind of want to go to another key. And, and uh, the pastor's wife usually played the, key, the piano. And she was in Israel, so we had somebody else doing it. So it was a little disconnected, you know. And, and he's waiting for her to find the key. And this woman pops up. Thus saith the Lord, I've written Ichabod over the doors, for my spirit is not in this place, for you have grieved me. And the guy leading worship sitting there going, I'm serious. And he turns to me going, and I'm like, shut her up, shut her up. And he's just like, and I walked up, and as God is my witness, I walked up, and I grabbed the microphone, and I looked at her, and I said, woman, shut up. Just like that. And she stopped, just like that. I said, ushers, help this woman find her place out of the building. And she said, I have taken my spirit. I said, shut up. And here come the ushers. They were these old Cajun boys. They were glad to drag that lady out. I said, and take her Bible with her. Get it out of here. And they drug her out of the church. And I said, now get on your feet. We're going to worship and praise God. And because, I mean, she just killed it, you know, when she did that. And, and, and you say, well, uh, why did you do that? When I was in Bible school, that happened. We were in church on a Sunday, 1,000 people in church. And this is before churches ran more than a couple hundred. And, and a message came and tongues and, and interpretation and the Spirit of God was there and worship continued and it was awesome. And all of a sudden, this little lady in front of me, didn't look like she weighed 85, 90 pounds, shopping wet, starts speaking in tongues out loud like a message. And it hair on my neck stood up. It just creeped me out, you know, and I was like, what's, what's, and everybody just stopped and it was, it just, it just didn't, there was something wrong. And the, the, the president of the Bible college, the pastor of the church walks to the microphone, takes the microphone from the music director, who's just standing there, you know, not knowing what to do. And the, the guy goes, woman, shut up. I plead the blood of Jesus over this place. I plead the blood over every mind. Lift your hands and worship God. Ushers, show that woman out of here. He said, somebody grab her and show her out. Well, I was standing right there. I grabbed her. That was just like grabbing the tail of a polecat. I mean, she was demon-possessed, and she went off. Wow! Took nine men to get her out. I learned quickly what the scripture means, lay hands on no man suddenly, because you don't know what you grab and hold of, I'm telling you. But I saw that, and I saw it one other time, because we had an infiltration of witches into a church, and, and there, was, there was confusion that was beginning to, to take place, because the leadership would not address it. And, and finally, someone did, and you could feel a sigh of relief in the whole body. And um, so I've seen the confusion that comes when things are not addressed properly. 
I actually had a person that was, somebody called me and said, would you have this person speak in your church in midweek service? I didn't know him from Adam, but this person calling me, I knew, and I said, well, okay, I guess I can help out. And he wasn't a fourth of the way into his message, and some of the garbage that was coming out of his mouth, I couldn't take it anymore. And I walked up and said, give me the microphone, go sit down. I said, folks, I apologize to you. I don't know this man. I took, his, I took him on somebody else's recommendation. Forget everything he told you tonight. He got mad and left. I don't know why. But he got up and left. And um, I said, because I consider protecting the flock more important than protecting somebody's feelings. And, and the Bible says that if we're going to operate in the gifts, then we should be willing to be corrected if we abuse that or do it in a way that is harmful. But we should also, those who do the correcting, should be doing it in a spirit of love and to where what is the best way to do that? What's the best way to bring correction? How can the people learn from this? You know, it's not to hurt people or anything. And I don't know how I got off on that. But I just know the fruit of confusion brings division. And, and so um, if, if you allow a mixture of teaching, mixing things together, let me get back to that. Um, people will respond in one of two ways every time. Some will see the good in it, and therefore they'll accept the bad. And some will focus on the bad, and they end up rejecting the good. So then they say, I'm not going to listen to anyone. And they'll quote you the scripture that says, you have no need of a teacher, for you have the, the Spirit of God inside of you. And I said, if that's the case, then why did... Paul write in Ephesians that God is giving gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. See, you, you can't have one part contradict the other part. Um, and, and if you don't think the spirit of confusion brings division, then you didn't see what happened in the House of Representatives yesterday. The whole House of Representatives for the United States is in total disarray. Because there's confusion as to what is right and what is wrong, what is proper, what is not, this, that, and everything else. And now they've brought a division of the house, and it's divided. And that, you know, I'm just telling you, it's, 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 all, it's all across our nation. It's all throughout the culture. It's happening in our universities and our schools. It's just there. It really is. Uh, and in the church, confusion always results in division. The Bible doesn't give us liberty to tolerate incursion of evil into the church. We can't be passive about it. We can't be neutral about it. Proverbs 8.13 says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It doesn't say make room for it. It doesn't say compromise. And uh, sin, uh, sin, it's sinful to compromise with evil. And it's sinful to be neutral about it. It's sinful to be quiet about it. The church needs to speak out about, you know why we're in, 
we as a nation are in the condition we're in is because for 40, 50 years, the church got silent, afraid of offending the, the people. But now all of a sudden, we want some want to speak out, but the culture is telling us to be quiet. And, and, and there, even many are saying, you're going to upset the apple cart if you keep after this the way you're going. But we have to speak out, but we have to speak it out in a way that is compassionate. And in other words, you, you don't be quiet that a person's house is on fire because you're afraid of offending them. You, you let them know your house is on fire, right? I mean, and, 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 and it's because you love them and you're concerned. You don't want them to die in the fire. Um, John 10.10, Jesus spoke about the devil, and whether it's an individual life or a congregation, the devil only comes with three objectives, and that's to steal, kill, and destroy. And, um, boy, it's already 8.35. Oh, I'm going to have to go real fast through these two things, because I, I wanted just to address two things. And please, I want you to hear my heart on this. Don't get me wrong. Don't go out of here saying something different than what I'm, what I'm trying to say. I see a couple things that are disconcerting to me just a little bit. Well, not a little bit, a good bit, um, that I want to address, but try and frame it in the proper way. And here's the first one, and that is that there has been in the last number of years an overemphasis, you got to put that word in there, overemphasis, of laying on of hands for the purpose of impartations. That's really a buzzword that has been for several years. Now, I am not saying, say, I am not saying, pastor is not saying this, okay? I am not saying it is unscriptural to lay hands on people. The Bible speaks of laying hands on the sick. It talks about laying hands on people uh, to receive the Holy Spirit. It talks about laying hands on people to commission them for a work. It talks about laying hands on people to ordain them. I could make, probably continue with a number of other things. But there is, there is difference in much of what I see in here being taught today versus what I see and read in the New Testament. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 12, it says, Know those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, I've heard this, and I, I actually researched this out for a few, several weeks, and, and, and a lot of commentary people, theologians, modern theologians say the word that know means just um, to honor or acknowledge and give note to the ones who are over you. But that's, that's not true. Um, there's a deeper meaning to this because the word know in, in the way it is used here means to be aware, behold, consider, perceive. So there's a deeper understanding there. Yes, be aware of those who are over you. Uh, be, hold them, and, and acknowledge them. Um, thank them, be grateful for them. All those things, that's fine. But it also says consider or perceive. Perceive is a very interesting word, and I don't have time to break all that down. But it's more than just a simple acknowledgement. 
of saying, well, my pastor is this, or my, my elder is this, or my, you know, father and my, my mentor in the Lord is this, you know. It's the idea behind knowing here um, is more than just an acknowledgement. It, it carries the idea of having history and knowledge of the person. Does that make sense? Like the example I gave a little while ago, I took a person in on a recommendation of someone I knew. I had known them for a couple of years as a pastor. They were nearby. We had fellowship regularly. But this guy was either had just pulled the wool over his, this guy's eyes or he didn't say what he said in my, his church, what he said in my church. And, and um, there's, an, uh, there's a concept of having history with someone, knowing someone. Um, it, it, uh, it's, it's like, let's put it this way, it's like the rain. When the rain falls, um, it's direct from heaven, okay? Um, but if the rain is caught and stored, let's say, like in a cistern, then you're not receiving rain direct from heaven. You're receiving rain that was caught and channeled into a container of some kind. So when you take the water out of that, you have to consider the pipes or the manner in which the water is traveling to you before you go and drink it. I heard a minister in Kenya years ago talk about when he first went there that they, they gathered rainwater in barrels that would come off the roof and that kind of thing. And he said it, the water, of course, the rain was pure. There was nothing wrong with the rainwater. But if the water sat in the cisterns too long, worms developed. Yeah. And so he said he learned the hard way. Uh, got very sick and and they learned that even if it was pure water in, that had run into the cisterns, they still had to boil the water before they could drink or cook with it. Uh, there was nothing wrong with the rain when it came down, but it was, was, it was what happened when it channeled through to them that, that no longer made the water pure. And, and I, I think, please listen to what I'm saying here, I think this can be true of those who desire to lay hands on people to impart something. Um, I ask, is the channel pure? Um, are those hands pure channels through which the Holy Spirit can flow? So I go back to the scripture to know those who labor among you. So those who I have had history with, those who I've spent time with, those who I've um, watched and, and those I've had conversations with and whatever, I develop a history, there becomes that level of trust. You follow what I'm saying? But to allow just anybody to come lay hands, I'm not going to do it. That's just me. Because I don't know them. I don't know where they come from. I don't know what they're involved in. I, I don't know. I'm not doing it. Several years ago, I got a phone call from some pastors in the north part of the state, and they told me about this uh, individual re 
the head of a certain uh, Pentecostal denomination who was coming through Monroe, going to have this giant meeting, and that he was coming. God had told him to have these meetings all across the country and that God was going to impart the anointing that God had put on him into any person that he laid his hands on as he made this tour across the country. And, and, and they called me. They said, you've got to get up here. And I said, why? And they told me this. I said, you've got to be nuts. And I said, first of all, I'm, I'm not driving. That's before the roads were good all the way to Monroe. You know, it used to be two-lane back roads. And I'd, I said, I ain't driving all that way for that. Besides, I don't know this guy from Adam. And, there's, and he ain't important nothing on me. I'm sorry, I'm not going there. I said, you can go, get, you can have my half, whatever. I said, but I don't know them. And I said, I'm just leery, especially of people who want to impart something. If I don't know them, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just, I just, I think it's become a fad to a certain part. And yet, I know that it's not unbiblical because Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift that was, in, that was in him that came by the laying on of hands. But I don't know that it was imparted to him by the laying on of hands as much as it was that the presbytery laid hands and set him apart for that. And because of that, God's call for him to pastor that church, that mantle came upon him. There's different ways of looking at that. And I'm just saying, I see an overemphasis. Please understand what I'm saying. An overemphasis on that. Um, I remember years ago, Derek Prince, who's gone to be with the Lord now, but was a great teacher in the scriptures. And he told a story, and I had it written down. I went and found it on my computer from years ago. And he talked about a, a, a movement that was happening way back then. Golly, this, this must have been 35, 40 years ago, whatever, in the early part of the charismatic move or whatever. And, um, but he said that uh, there was a certain church that had gained a certain notoriety for the, a, a refreshing movement. That's how he worded it. And... Um, so he was in a, they were in a meeting. He and his wife, Ruth, were in a meeting. And they saw a woman sitting several rows in front of them. And, and, and she kept doing like this, like, something with, like she was going to be sick or something. And he looked at his wife and says, I think we need to go see if that lady needs help. He said, everybody just looks at her and just looks away. And so they went up to ask her if she needed help. And she told him, get away from me, you know. And, and they're like, What's going on? Uh, are, you, are you in need of help? Do we need to help you get to the restroom or whatever? And the neighbor, the person sitting nearby said, you can't talk to her. You can't, she won't listen to you. And he says, what do you mean? He says, well, she's been this way for several weeks now. I said, what happened? He says, well, this certain individual came through her church, and he called everybody up and says, I'm going to lay hands and impart a spirit of God on you, whatever, anointing, whatever. And she went up, and this started ever since then. And she was convinced that it was God. And her whole family's been coming unraveled. 
her, uh, she's become a distraction and a problem in the church. I mean, he said, and you can't speak in, you can't, you can't deal with her. So Derek Prince went back to her and, and um, uh, <clears throat> said that she was praying in tongues. But immediately he discerned that that was an evil tongue. It was not the spirit of God. And so um, uh, he went to pray, he went to take authority over it and the people around her said, she will, she will jump all over you. I'm telling you, she's not going to listen to you because she is convinced that what she has is from God and you're trying to rob her of it. And he, he, I remember him stating, he said, this, this is where a person has become polluted by somebody else in the laying on of hands. You know, I, I know that the problem with that is that people are going to be fearful of people laying on of hands. But I'm talking about the overemphasis of impartations. I believe there's the laying on of hands to bless, to heal, to send out, all of those things. But to me, it's just an area... If, if someone's going to lay hands on me, I'm going to know something about them. And you can disagree with me, and that's fine. I love you. And you'll learn later I'm right, but no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But no, I've just seen, I've seen a lot of people hurt that way. And, and to me, it's a red flag. Um, if they call... I've answered many a, a meeting, a call and a meeting for the minister to pray for me or whatever that's fine, but it was never as a, a meeting to impart what I have to you. Um, in, that, in that response, all I have is the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God. Um, and my anointing is not your anointing. Uh, my calling is not your calling. My my gifting is not your gifting. Uh, you know. So, anyway, um, I just put it out there for you for consideration, okay? And then I'm going to go through this one real quick, five minutes, and that is that there today is a great deal of emphasis on love. And you think, well, what's wrong with that? <laughs> um, love is wonderful, but we're talking about biblical love. And there's a there's a shift been a shift or a offset tipping a little bit of the teaching of love in the church with biblical love. I mean, we could go into all the details. There's different Greek words for love. There's the kind that's you know a love between a husband and wife. There's a love between brothers and sisters. There's uh, uh, there's just uh, there's you know, there's different words for love, okay? But that's not what I'm talking about. Love I'm talking about in us is expressed by our obedience to God, okay? Any kind of love that does not result in obedience is unbiblical. It's unscriptural. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Or another way of phrasing that would be, if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. Okay? In, in other words, what is the evidence that you love him? In verse 21, the first part of that same chapter says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Uh, in 1 John 5 and 3, it says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So any kind of love that does not result in obedience to the will of God revealed in his word is not scriptural love. It's a counterfeit. It's a substitute for the real thing. Consider the way that we know that God loves us. The Bible says that if God truly loves us, then he disciplines us. You know, I mean... If I was writing it, it was like, I know God loves me because he's just blessing the socks off of me. You know, I know the Bible says, consider this. He loves us because he'll discipline us. Well, you know, that's that old thing when my parents used to tell me, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Well, I never believed that lie <laughs> because I was the only one ever crying afterwards, you know. <clears throat> In the messages to the seven churches in Revelation, I would say the church of Laodicea is the one that co corresponds most closely to the contemporary church in the West, right? And the, and the Lord said to that church in Revelation 3.19, As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So God's love's not a sloppy love. It's, it's not a sentimental love. It's, it's a right down-to-earth, where-you-live kind of love, Okay? And if we're straying away from his ways and we're disobedient to his ways, he's going to express his love by correcting us. And, and here's the problem, and I'll wrap this up. We have the problem today of trying to get what God promises by bypassing the basic, basic condition of repentance. We want his blessings, but we don't want to repent. We want his blessings, but we don't want to live in obedience. We want his blessings, but we don't want to follow him. We, don't want, we want everything without any cost. And that's deception to think that you can get that. And, and uh, the article I read today that just lit me up just was so incredible. I was just like, how can a man of God or a woman of God say such a thing? And so I came across this quote by a British Bible teacher. And this is going to summarize this part on this love thing. Because I've noticed it not only in teaching, I've noticed it creeping into worship songs. That love becomes the foundation of all things. But, and I understand that in, in the concept that it's God's love that he gave his only begotten son, right? That's foundational. But I don't build my life off of God's love for me. My life is built upon his word, and this word was given because he loves us. And he says, if you love me, you keep my commandments, but I can't know what his commandments are without this word. 
And so I see, I see things kind of overlapping a little bit on this thing of love and love. And, and listen to what this guy says. I'll put it up on the screen because I just thought it was really great. It was so simple and succinct. He said, some Christians take the text, God is love, and turn it around to mean love is God. In other words, nothing can be wrong if it's rooted in love. Where are we hearing that? Are we hearing that today in the culture of our day? We're hearing that in churches today. It's all about love. You see the commercials on TV run by certain denominations and signs going down Johnson Street and other places. We're all one. God loves us all. We're all welcome here. We don't judge. We don't. No, we're not to judge. We're not to judge. Every person walks through that door is a sinner. Or a sinner that was once a sinner saved by grace now, right? We don't judge people by our yards. We judge. The the word of God is the one that does the judge. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the convicting. But this whole umbrella of love. It's, it's coming from the, the left of our culture and it's sweeping like a tidal wave into the church. And he says, they take this thing and say, we say, God is love. So then they turn around and his love is God. And then he says, in, in other words, nothing can be wrong if it's rooted in love. So there's no wrong in this sin. There's no wrong in this sin because I love this person or I love this or I love this. Or I... But God says, if you love me, you keep my word. And he goes on and says, however, any love that comes between us and God is an illegitimate love. It's a false love. And if it's a false love, it's a deceptive one. Because it diverts us from obedience of God's word. Or it literally says God's word is no longer of highest value or position in our lives. And there's a fine line there. We can become legalistic to where... Black and white right there, baby. None of us can measure up to that. Or we can go to the other extreme. It's love, 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 love. I love you no matter what. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Yes, I love you, but if, I, if you're committing sin, I need to tell you your house is on fire. It's like walking a tightrope. <laughs> you know, I don't, want, I don't get up in the morning going, I hope I can offend somebody. And I don't get up in the morning going, I hope I get offended. But we've got to, the Bible says, speak the truth in love. So that means, what is the truth? Your word is truth. This has to be the foundation on which everything is built. It's when I read this, his love for me, my love for him increases. Love doesn't increase because I'm loved more. Love increases because I see even more how much he loves me because of what he said and what he's done and what 
I don't know if I'm making any sense to anybody else. Um, so let me just close by saying this about this whole series. There is no need to be fearful of deception. And you're thinking, but you just told us all these weeks about deception is real and this and this. And hear what I'm saying. There's no need to be fearful of deception if we let our hearts remain pure, our minds saturated with God's word, and his kingdom come and his will be done in every day of our life. If we do those things, then we need not fear deception. Why? Because discernment will be operating. Discernment and the spirit who lives within us will be operating. And when false comes across our path, we'll recognize it. We've all heard that story. When they teach people to spot counterfeit bills, they don't show them counterfeit bills. They show them the real thing, try and slip a fake one through. If you've seen enough of the real thing, when a fake one comes along, you spot it immediately. I remember when I studied in Bible college, when I studied um, um, uh, Kingdom of the Cults, Jehovah's Witness and Mormonism and um, uh, Church of, uh, Worldwide Church of God and all these other cult type things that were built off of similar to Christianity or things with Christianity for three hours. I took it, we, we took it once a week for three hours instead of like three times a week for an hour. So once a week I had this class and I enjoyed the class, but it was three hours of studying false teachings. And every week I would walk out with a headache. My head would be splitting. I had a phenomenal teacher. He, he was from Lafayette. He was a former Catholic priest who got saved reading the book of Romans out of, um, I'm trying to think what translation of the Bible it was. Um, it was in the footnotes that he read, and many of the priests were saved that, from that day forward. And it opened his eyes that he needed Jesus. His name was Brother Sandy Carson. He taught at Liberty College when I was there. And um, he was just an incredible guy. He left the priesthood. Uh, he was in the Alexandria Diocese and uh, moved to Lafayette, opened a halfway house for other priests who were coming out of the Catholic Church. He fell in love, got married, had a family. Just sweetest guy you ever met in your life. But he taught this class. And, and I told him, I said, Sandy, you've got to give us a break halfway through. It's like drinking from a poison well for three hours straight. So he'd give us 15 minutes, and I'd go get me a strawberry knee-high and a payday candy bar, thinking that might help with the headache. The sugar helped. It really did. But one night, I remember, it went on a little bit over three hours. And we were in a modular building. And so when we stepped outside, we were outdoors. 
It was one of those nights that you could see a million stars in the Milky Way, right? Clear, cool, crisp air in the fall. And there was like 22 of us just walking across the parking lot, nobody making a sound, just kicking up the, the, the pebbles on the gravel. It was just like leading sheep to the slaughter, you know. Our minds had just been fried. And somewhere in the back, I don't know who it was in the class, stopped, and he yells out, I know y'all laughing at me, but I'm telling you, I can remember this moment like it was yesterday. And he goes, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And it was the first Word of truth we had heard in three plus hours. And everybody that had been walking across that parking lot stopped. And we lifted our hands in unison and said, Glory to God! Hallelujah! We had a praise meeting right there for about 15 minutes in the parking lot. Because for three hours we just heard falsehood, falsehood, falsehood. And that simple sentence just like, blew us back and into reality because it was truth. And, and that's why I say if, if our hearts remain pure and we saturate our minds with the word of God and we live for his purpose each and every day, understanding the reason you get up today is because God has a purpose for you. You don't know what it is, who it is, it doesn't matter, but it may be seen so small, but there's a purpose. Otherwise, you would not be here. I just believe that. And because and, um, God doesn't wake his people up and then send them out without purpose. And, uh, and, and so if we live that way, then we don't have to live in fear of deception. Because we'll hear truth, know truth, understand truth. And then when there's something questionable, we do what the Bible says and carefully examine it. Examine it according to the word. Examine it in the whole context of what it means. Examine it. And, when we, and if it's good, we hang on to it. And if it's bad, we throw it aside. That's maturity. A baby will put anything in its mouth. Right? I know I've gone a long time tonight, and I apologize. Andrew? Yes? Also, leave room for me to do it deeply. Yes. Yep. Yes. And to leave room because most of the time people aren't coming to you to rebuke you because they love it. They're doing it because God's making them do it. Right. And, and I will share, can I share a personal experience that I had on the receiving end of that rebuke? Me too. I've done that too. Uh, I was in Bible college 
And uh, every Friday after work, I would run, I would drive like a maniac for three and a half hours from Pensacola back to Montgomery and try and get to my little, uh, our little church. Uh, we had Friday night meetings, usually 100, 150 young people in there. Adults were there. And I came back. And, of course, you know, I'm in Bible school now, you know, and, you know, you kind of get the big head sometimes, whatever. And, and um, But I felt a prompting of the Lord about something, but I was disobedient and following it until finally it was like the Lord went to somebody else and gave that word, okay? And then I was upset because I didn't give it. So I determined to give another word. And I had two brothers in the Lord come straight to me quietly and say, come, come with us. And they walked me to the back. And they said, Bob, that was not God and you know it. Why did you do it? And I had to accept their rebuke and their correction. But I was so embarrassed. Now, they didn't bring me up in front of the church and, like, put me out to dry. They didn't do that. But I was so embarrassed by it that I told God, I will never, ever give another prophetic word. I will not be used in any of the speaking gifts. Forget it. And my heart, see, you said stay open to rebuke. I was open to the rebuke, but I went the wrong way with it afterwards. I said, a team of wild horses won't get a word out of me. And for the next 10 and a half months, I was the most miserable of all souls because I was in defiance to God until finally I broke and had to repent. And then God said, go repent in front of this church. I said, God, this is between you and me. He said, but you're a part of the body. And by you behaving the way you did, you've denied this body opportunities for me to speak when no one else would speak because you refuse to. You are in rebellion. So go repent to them and ask for their forgiveness. That's why my heart is if a person does something and it's not harmful to correct them in a loving way privately. But at the same time, if what's being done is harmful, somebody's got to get up and stop, stop what's going Because then again, if nothing is said, then people are left trying to figure things out for themselves. And knowing that you have people who are spiritually mature and people who are just babies in the Lord, someone has to be the voice of reason that says, this is of God, this was not of God. This was out of human flesh or this was out of a demonic influence. Most of the time, prophetic words and things come out of the flesh. You know, 
And um, so I appreciate you saying that, Andrew. It's true. We have to be open to correction and rebuke and, uh, and realize that it's a part of the growing process. And, um, but again, we don't have to be fearful of deception, even though deception is a great sign of the last days. But we have to do our part. It's not like God's going to put us in a bubble or put a force field around us where nobody can touch us. We are eating daily, and we're listening, and we're hearing, and we have to decipher and disseminate and discern all those things. Are they of God? Well, this is the only way we're going to know between this and the one who lives inside of us. Amen? Any other questions or comments? Has this been a help at all the last five weeks? I hope it has because it's not, not my favorite thing to teach on something like that. But you know what? We've got to have that to grow. Right. Oh, yeah. God does not push. Anytime you feel pressure to make a decision, a choice, a move, or whatever, back away from that. God, God will coax us. God will, you know, come on, let's go, let's go, you know. But he's not going to pressure you. He's not going to say, five minutes or you miss me, you're out. You know, that kind of thing. That's, that's a warning sign right there. Yeah, and, and, and I've said it how many, probably 10,000 times in my lifetime, but the enemy will float 99 truths if he could float one lie, and that one lie damn your soul. And, and so, you know, again, you know, there used to be a day where everybody bought a Bible to church, and we're following when they put it around, you know. And I know when I first started putting scriptures up on a screen, I had pastors, my, my peers were saying, people have quit bringing their Bibles. I said, may people have quit bringing their Bibles. Put, at least put it up there where they could see it. And not you just say that it's there, you know. And, uh, but we have to. We have to go back. I mean, there's been times I've heard great teachers and and they'd say some stuff, and I'd go, ooh, I got to chew on that for a And what I mean is I go back and study it and take my notes and, 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 uh, and go back over that again. And, 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 and did I get that wrong? Did I hear that right? And, you know, I, I got to make sure that what I heard is what I heard. 
You know, because how many of you know sometimes we can hear something, but that's not what was said, you know. And so, you know, I, I remember when they started recording services, I was like, thank goodness, I can go get a tape and listen to it again. And then it was CDs, and now we have videos, you know, and everything. So, you know, because I had somebody about two months call me saying, Pastor, you said this Sunday. I said, I did not say that. I heard you. My spouse heard you. I said, go back online and look at it and tell me where it is, and I will apologize if I said that. I never heard from that person. What they heard is not what I said. <laughs> you know, but sometimes you, you question yourself, you know, did, did I really hear, did I really hear what they said, you know, and, and uh, so, you know, there's nothing wrong with questioning. There's nothing wrong with examining it, you know. Yeah. Well, turn around so they can hear you. Uh, apologies. Um, uh, my stepdad is, you know, a very prideful man. Um, very, very prideful. But he does believe in God, and he believes in miracles, and he, um, like, he knows that who Jesus is, and he's a Messiah, and all these things. Um, well, my son, a long story short, a few years ago, my son went with my mom. That's what debaters do. Yeah. <laughs> Watch the politicians. <laughs> Sustained my son 
every single day. But it was yes. the word that was in him yes. that did that. Yes. That's right. Exactly. So, That's great. That's great. We'll praise the Lord. Anybody need prayer tonight? Anybody need prayer tonight? We won't pray for you before we leave. Uh huh. Right. Right. To pray for the school. The church is scared for the war. The church is not scared for the truth to show the light to the lost world. Right. It's the truth, Pastor. You know? So, you want to know why this America died? Because we let America die. This yeah. is the responsibility of the Pope, not the responsibility of the people in the world. That's right. Right. The people, that even the people that don't believe in God, you feel like communion because in that name is power. That's right. In the name is blood. So that's what we need to do in America. The power of the name of Jesus. Yeah. Amen. We use so much. I think when I go, I'm going to be one of you. I think when I go to a church and they use the generic name God. No. God has a name. In the New Testament, the Testament has over 900 different names. Right. That's right. That's right. Yep. Amen. It's good. Well, we've gone long tonight. Whoo, 920. I see kids coming down. They must have, they must have gone long too. <laughs> so, amen. Well, Lord, just bless all these folks. Give them rest tonight. Give them favor every place they go. For the glory of your namesake, we pray. Amen. Amen.